When you hear the phrase, soft as steel, what do you think of? While the word steel might conjure up images such as massive high-rise buildings, where does the soft part come in? And what exactly does this mean in our work and in our lives? Welcome to the Soft as Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran, featuring engaging conversations with a wide range of industry leaders around soft skills, how we practice love, inclusion, social justice, and compassionate leadership that's everlasting in the workplace. And now, here's Dennis Duran. A practical, beneficial, and interesting conversation concludes in this third segment. I want to express my appreciation to the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades Finishing Industries Forum. I'm confident that the conversations in this segment have been enlightening for all who have had an opportunity to listen in. All right, next question. Uh, if I were to ask someone uh, to describe using single words in a few words to describe you as a leader, what do you think they would say about you? So I'm asking you to reflect on yourself and put it into words. Chris, what would they say about you? <laughs> I see Mike Greenley out there. He worked for me, so I'd be curious what he would do you say. Want to give, do you want to provide the answer? Yeah. Would you take audience input I'm, on this? I'm one? afraid. No, no I, I think, I, think uh, I would like to believe that people would say uh, that I lead by being an honorable person. I do the right thing and I honor my word. And I think that's something I pride myself on and I try to, I try to live by the golden rule. I want to treat people the way I want to be treated, so I treat people with respect. And that's, that's I, I think I would get that. Good. Paul. Can only, the phrase I can think of is, has my back. Good. I'm, I'm there. Good. That's a, that, there's a lot in that few words. Jessica. Well, I would like to think that my coworkers would view me as kind, approachable, honest, and motivating. Are they in the room? Did you, they hear you say that? There is, oh, 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 some of them, maybe. I hope they agree. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure they would. Jim, uh oh I heard something. Uh-oh, what was that? There'll, there'll, be no, there'll be no outbursts from the audience. <laughs> I might have the most number of employees in here, so. True story. <laughs> yeah, you're in the hot seat here. Uh, you're on the, you're yeah, on the spot. Uh, there's a couple of them you might, might not want to talk to, but I, I, would, I would hope it's fair. Um, I, th I think fairness is something that I believe in, and um, I would hope my staff feels like, you know, that, that I treat them fair. Mm -hmm. Good. Jeff. <sighs> Passion. I, I care. You care. You're okay. a caring person. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think people recognize that, so. Yeah. Bob? Uh, hopefully, in all the groups I've led, uh, caring servant leader. Wow. Beautiful. It, and that may seem like either, I don't know, a silly question to ask the individuals in front of an audience, uh, but one of the things that, that successful leaders do is they understand themselves. They know who they are. Because if they don't, um, there's, there's a place to trip and fall every day <laughs> because you're being watched all the time. You're being listened to intensely, uh, even if it's second or third hand. And if you trip and fall, you may never get up. Uh, so if you don't understand yourself and, and can recognize, you know, why the people you lead view you the way they do, you're lacking some fundamental information. 
Uh, and, it, and this also goes, Paul, to what we talked about earlier, the whole notion of emotional intelligence, being self-aware. It's, it's not being boastful to say that, some, that I would be described as caring or a servant leader. Uh, it's, they're descriptive, they're helpful, and all you have to do to make sure that you don't become an imposter is live to it. Mm -hmm. And all of you do that. I think it's probably a fair statement to say that all of you do that. All right. Now I'm going to get really soft skills on you. <laughs> How is love present in your life at work, at home, and in society? I'm going to start with Bob because he'll probably have the best answer to this question. First off, you have to love yourself. You have to be okay with yourself. You may want to do better, but you have to love yourself. Um, love, we tend in our society, it's romantic, but I just finished a book about the Battle of Okinawa. Severe, horrible battle, World War II. Those warriors loved each other. They gave their lives for each other. That's total love. Uh, as far as my family, and it, it reflects what I didn't get when I was growing up, I never end a conversation, I hope, a text, a phone call, I love you. We all need to feel loved. That's part of what's going on in our society. Too many people don't feel loved. As far as a worker, I care deeply about you, and they understand that. When they, uh, and I, as a grandparent and parent, when my grandkids hurt, when my kids hurt, I hurt. The deepest hurt is losing a child. So I hope I give people the impression that I really care about them, and it's a loving relationship because it's part of me. It becomes part of me. And I have male friends, we end phone conversations, and I say, I love you. What's wrong with that? We need to be more loving culture. Jeff. How do you beat that? <laughs> you don't. Sorry, I no, no, that's very oh well stated. God, and it's, I, I think a big part of that, as you said, is, is recognizing why love is important. And I think that was, you know, that word is such a broad term that initially it's like, well, what, what does that really mean? Well, it can mean lots of different things. But I think it's in, in the workplace is act of kindness. It's the little things you do, the recognition. It's not just about earning a paycheck. It's people feeling like they belong. You respect their opinions. You respect them as individuals. You're there for them. And I think and if you build that organization, your loyalty, and one of the things I'm proud of, we have people who have been in this over 30 years. And there's one main reason, because they feel that they're respected. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things we did, our workforce, I remember when I was younger, it's like you stopped at 7-Eleven, you got a hoagie before you went to work, and that was your lunch. So we used to have what they call the, the food wagon or the slop wagon, as you referred to, would come in there, and it was so friggin' unhealthy and expensive that we built a kitchen, we hired a chef, and so every day is that we give all our guys in the shop and our office as well a free bowl of soup, and we also subsidize other food they do. And at lunch, sorry, in the morning is a, a free bowl of oatmeal and at lunchtime a free bowl of soup. So they always are fed. 
I never realized how much that paid dividends to us and the culture we built. The other thing I didn't realize is how little our staff was now going out for lunches. They were actually, you know, hanging around and intermingling with the tradespeople and other things. So to me, our connection to that now is, is we draw people because those little things. We've got a gym. We, I, I pay our staff three hours a, a week to go work out in the gym. Just, and it'll be at two o'clock in the afternoon, you're having a bad day, go to the gym and just clear your head. So I think those are the little things. And then reaching out and saying, what else do we do? We, we do what they call it. Was the survey monkey or the monkey survey? I always get that ass survey backwards. <laughs> but nevertheless, is that when we put it out there, is that what are some of the other things? Well, we give everybody their birthday off, you know, with pay. And if it falls on a weekend, you get to pick a Monday or Friday. But if it's a Wednesday, it means you take Wednesday off and go enjoy yourself with your family. When we came back to the survey, it was the little things that we were doing that actually is a draw people there. So in, at home life, I would say it's a matter of honesty, integrity, apologizing to your kids. And I've been wrong lots with my kids. I don't have a problem going to say, hey, that screwed up. But I also expect them to because they'll tell you, and even people at work, is that you can make mistakes, but don't lie to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jim. Yeah, I mean, love's, love's prevalent um, in, in just about everything we do as a labor union. You know, we, we do what we do on behalf of our members because of the genuine love that we have for them. And I'm not afraid to say that I want to see and openly talk about that's what motivates us. Is that, is that love, that love for the working class, that love for working people. And that should be what drives us and motivates us. And if our institution and our union doesn't put love at the center of our values, then I, I go back to what are we really doing? Um, you know, the labor movement in general was founded by, by you know, that commonality, that love for one another, um, and that created a, a great movement that we have all inherited. And if we don't bring love back into the work we do when it comes to organizing new workers, working with our employers and managing our staff, then you know we're not gonna see the results that, that we need. And, and in, in my home life, I mean, the love that a father has for his children is the same type of love that we should have for, for our membership. Jessica. So for me, love is a, it's a principle, it's a concept that sparks joy. So something personally for me that sparks joy is to foster relationships, build new relationships, and I do that in a way that make people feel like you matter. You're a real person, you're a human, I see you. So that's how I share love and joy Very amongst good. all the facets of my life. Terrific, Paul. Yeah, so, so love is like a hot button word for someone of my upbringing. Um, I, to be completely honest, I'm not very good at expressing emotion. It's kind of the way I was raised. Um, my, my, my wife has accepted it to a degree and, and daughter. <laughs> um, so I, I try to express you know, I guess it's a subset of, of love, but um, the support factor. So um, I usually express myself in, you know, whether it's my home life about being very, um, 
very focused on what's important going on in their life and what help they need. Um, and I think that conveys that feeling of love. And in work, in the work perspective, things that are important to the people I work with, I make certain that I, I know about that. And I'll just take notes and make calendar reminders um, to ask them again about how their wife's medical condition is doing. Um, I'll propose, do you, need, do you need time off? I'll pay, I'll pay you the day if you, if you need it. I offer it up before they, they might be hesitant to ask. So I guess I, I guess I convey a sense of love through just a support mechanism for the people I work with and my family. Mm -hmm. Good, Chris. Well, this time Paul stole my answer. So <laughs> I, I basically, yeah, we need to flip. Right? <laughs> um, so basically, I, I feel that uh, you know I show love by engaging with with my team in a positive way, and I try to I try to talk to as many people in our operation as I can on a daily basis, you know, schedule permitted by, by engaging in a positive way. And I think that sh that's how I show love in my operation and by participating in the industry. I love this industry. I love, I love curtain walls and I love, I love what we do. And so I engage in this because of the love of the industry. And I, you know, at, at home, you know, that's the little acts of kindness, I think, to your family members are you know, how you express love, right? So there's little things. I know my wife, I like to run, and she'll take shoes and she'll put them by the heater before I go run so that they're nice and warm when I go for a run. So oh. those little things, oh, they make a difference, and that's, that's love. That's so nice. I'm lucky. Yeah. Hmm. Um, my mentor, in, in, the, in his first book he published 20 years ago, uh, shared this thought. He said, do what you love in the service of people who love what you do. Do what you love in the service of people who love what you do. That takes it right down to the craft level. Uh, ask that craftsperson, do you, do, you love, do you love being in the trades? Do you love doing what you do? Um, and if the answer is yes, it's reflected in how they approach their work. It's reflected in the quality. It's, it's reflected in their, in their safe performance. Uh, and they contribute to a, a positive environment wherever they are. Uh, so if I were to offer a prescription to people you know, to kind of check themselves, check yourself, ask yourself that question, do I love what I do? And that doesn't mean every day you wake up and say, oh my God, I just can't wait to get in the office, I got a pile of crap I got to get into and I got to meet with this person. It doesn't mean that. Uh, it re it's really the mindset that you carry into how you approach what you are involved in. Every, every business on this stage, whether it's the union or the contractors, uh, ultimately, whether we put stuff in place, do things, say things, we're all in the service business. We serve people. I opened up this session by talking about pivoting to people. Well, one important group of people are the people that give us the reason to exist. Uh, and the union has, the IP has the challenge of having two sets of people that they have to serve. One being their members, another being the signatory contractors. And, and they're working hard at it under, under new leadership to do it better. Is that, a, is that fair, Jim? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I think it's something that, that we need to, to grab onto and hold ourselves accountable to that. Because again, it's, it's all gonna boil down to what we do differently uh, to perpetuate 
uh, our industry, which is not going to go away. That's the other thing. Whenever I teach classes, I, I look at people and say, you don't have to worry about, you know, we can't find enough people to do the, do the work. Don't worry about a job. You know, construction is never going to go away. We may do it differently. We may use, uh, what is it called next door? Surface, uh, desert, uh, that machine down the hall. What's it called? Jim. Jim, somebody, the, the machine, the, the, the drywall machine. What's oh, we may use robotics or, yeah, but or there's different a, who, tools. Who's the, who, somebody knows the name of that. What's that thing down the hall? What is it? Canvas. Say it? Canvas. 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 Sorry. I, you know, I'm old. I just, you know, it's, it's going to be fine. I'll take, I'll take a, an extra pill. I'll be good. I'll be good. All right. Um, the last prepare question. What is the single most important action you have taken as a leader to make your world a better place? Single action that you have taken as a leader to make your world a better place. And again, that could probably be denominated the union, your individual contractor, the industry as a whole, something personally or otherwise. An action that you've taken as a leader to try to make the world a better place. Maybe the hardest question I've asked. Chris? I think it might be the easiest for me. I, I stopped drinking, and that made a world of difference in my life. And my ability to interact with people, to engage, and to be a better person. Very good. Courageous answer. Paul? Yeah, just to um, kind of hit the rewind button again is, uh, I think um, when I realized um, the potential good in uh, implementing positive reinforcement. Um, you know, um, it, it, was, it was quite a change and, um, you know, we were still a transitional generational company and the old guard was still there, you know, with the, the stern, you know, yelling, but um, I think it, it's just, it's my wiring, um, it, it works, um, it's more adept to our current generations coming into the workforce. So if I have to look back, I, I think it was a no-brainer. It's just the fact that that's how I'm gonna choose. If, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't work. It's just, you know, it's, it's the way I am in general. Um, I have found though, unfortunately for you know, some, some of the people I work with, they, they view that as almost like, well, he really needs me. You know, it, it, you know they're used to getting reprimanded or, or threatened to perform. So when we get some people come on the board, I, I get the backstory that it's like, oh, you know, he really needs me because he's asking me, what do I think about the work that's going on, my opinion on things, but that's, that, that's the way I go, and, and it's, it's the only way I'll go. Thanks, Paul. Jessica? So something that I've done this past two years, year and a half, would be really to try to better my active listening skills. And in doing so, it has made me more self-aware, and being more self-aware allows me to eliminate some bias, majority of bias, and, and be open to other people's opinions and look at things in a very, you know, flat playing field manner. Good, thank you. Jim? 
As a labor leader, I think we often think our actions are so important to the world because we're so passionate about what we do. But so it's hard to to be like, oh, it's that one thing. But I would I would have to say, um, it was it, it, impactful to, to what I hope for our membership into the future was creating the trust with my team, um, our leaders, and and namely with with my partner Greg Smith. Um, because I believe that having a, a shared set of views, values, and the way we view the world, similar, provides good leadership to, to our membership and to our leaders. So yeah. I think it's that trust thing. Yeah. Jeff? For me, it was uh, recognizing and accepting my weaknesses. And once I realized that, then I started backfilling with where my weakness lied and being okay not having all the right answers because, you know, that, that's hard on the ego. So for me, I think that was the biggest, biggest thing I did for myself. And then obviously it has the trickle down effect from there. And which led to me, you know, being transparent uh, and candid in the responses. Good, and Bob? Similar, Jeff. I think somewhere along the line, I realized that I, I didn't have the responsibility to have all the answers. And what that allowed me to do, it, it freed me up one. Mm -hmm. And number two, to listen to others, what do you think? and then assess what's the right answer. Chris, Paul, Jessica, Jim, Jeff, Bob, I thank you for an incredible conversation. Uh, if you agree with me, please offer them a round of applause. Hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Softest Steel podcast. You can find the first and second segments along with the full series of Soft to Steel podcast episodes on your favorite podcast app. And please, if you haven't already done so, subscribe to my podcast so that you'll be notified when new podcasts drop. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of the Soft to Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran. Dennis is the author of Soft as Steel and a leading speaker and trainer for organizations across many industries and verticals. To learn more about the work Dennis is doing to activate soft skills in the workplace, contact him at DennisDuranSpeaking.com. Be sure to check out his book, Soft as Steel, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. And please remember to share this episode with your friends, colleagues, and anyone you feel would benefit from the conversation. We'll see you next time on the Softest Steel Podcast with Dennis Duran. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.